We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Amen. Well, I hope that if you hear nothing else today, you hear those words that we just sang that his grace is greater than your sin. Because today we're talking about second chances. And so I I wonder if you can remember a time in your life, or maybe even now as you look back on life, maybe you think about areas in life in which you would love a do-over. You would love a second chance at things. Maybe you think back about a relationship where you you broke that person's trust and and you would give anything to have a second chance at showing them that you care about them. Maybe you think back on your relationships with family members and and you'd give anything just to show them that you you actually do care about them and that that you can care about someone other than yourself. They're they're grieved by by the ways in which you went into this destructive self-inward spiral and and just kind of neglected the important relationships in your life and and you you would give anything to have another shot at it. Maybe you think about your career. Maybe you think about your family. Maybe you think about your friendships or your marriage. There's all sorts of areas in life in which our, our sin has, has been in rebellion against God, but it's also hurt other people in our life, and, and we would give anything just to have a second chance. Well, we've been looking at the book of Jonah lately, the last couple of weeks, and, and what we see in the book of Jonah is this man who runs from God. This man who rebels against God's will for his life, this man who actually knows God and yet runs from him and from his will, and it ends up affecting people around him, and it leads to his own destruction and demise, and, 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 and Jonah, it takes him getting to rock bottom, where he's literally at the bottom of the sea, swallowed up by a great fish, and that's where he realizes that he needs to turn to God that he needs to turn to the God who can only provide salvation, the only one who has it and who can give it. He turns to the God of second chances. And today that's what we're going to look at, is how, how God continues to pursue those who have run from him, and he offers second chances out of mercy and grace to those who don't deserve it. People who know God like Jonah and run from him. God offers second chances that they might run with him instead of from him. People who don't yet know God and have run from him. He offers second chances that they might run to him and not away from him. You see, the God of second chances, he pursues us in love. Because his grace is greater than all our sin. And he is the one who has salvation as we looked at last week. So turn, turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3 as we look at this idea of a God of second chances this week. We're going to start uh, in verses 1 through 4, and then we'll talk for a little bit and keep going in, into chapter 3, and we'll finish out chapter 3 today as we look at this God who provides second chances for those who don't 
deserve it. So Jonah chapter 3, here's what we read in the first four verses. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So here's what I want you to see in, the, in these first four verses. The second chances are for those who know God and have run from him that they might run with him. And so look at what chapter 3 says here in that first verse. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Don't let that phrase miss you. When, when, when you're reading this passage, when it says that God spoke something to someone twice, when he spoke to them again, when he reminded them of his goodness, when he reminded them of what he was calling them to do, when God speaks to you not just once but multiple times, he's pursuing you in love. You see, this God, he, he pursues his prophet, Jonah, Jonah was a prophet. He was a messenger of God. He was one who was meant to speak the words of God to the people of God. He was meant to be one who ran with God, not ran from God. He was meant to be one who walked closely with God. He was meant to be one whom the people could go to and hear God speak to them and meet their needs. You see, Jonah was meant to be a man that walked with God, and he ran away from him. And, and this God, he pursues him. It, what we see here is almost exactly what we read in chapter 1. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to what we read in chapter 1. Here's what it says. When the book of Jonah starts, here's what it says. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. And so, so here in chapter 3, we see almost the same wording where God again is bringing the same message to Jonah. He's speaking the same words to Jonah. He's pursuing Jonah again. This God of mercy and grace, even when we run from him, he often pursues us because he wants us to not run away from him, but to run with him. Jonah gets a second chance to obey God. In chapter 2, we looked at how salvation belongs to the Lord. As Jonah was sinking to the bottom of the sea, his sin had brought him to a place in life where he had no hope. He was literally at rock bottom. And in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of being at the bottom, he calls out to God because he knows in that moment that all the while he's been completely dependent on the God who can save. And that only this God can save. And so as he's at the bottom, not knowing what's going to happen, he calls out to God and, and he prays for deliverance. He prays for salvation. He prays for hope in the midst of his despair. And this God does something miraculous. He lifts Jonah up out of the depths of darkness and despair, out of where his sin has brought him in life, and he, he has the fish spit him off, out onto dry land. And what we looked at is how this miraculous event in Scripture was just that. It was a miracle. 
Oftentimes we, we try and explain away the miracles in Scripture, and, and that's not the point. It's not, the point is not for you to try and wrap your mind around how something could naturally have happened, but to wrap your mind around how the God who created all things is able to do what he wants to deliver the people that he wants to deliver. And so God delivers Jonah, and what Jesus said about this event was that it, it actually pointed to him. You see, Jesus, in the book of Matthew, he, he's talking to some religious people, and, and they're asking for a sign, and, and Jesus says to them, you'll have no other sign but the sign of Jonah. When Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, and then the fish vomited him up onto dry land, and he was saved and delivered from death, he said, you'll have no sign but this sign, because it points to a greater one. Jesus says something greater than Jonah is here. And he's talking about himself. When Jesus is speaking to the religious elite who, who are not seeing God clearly, who are not seeing what God would have them do clearly, who are, in fact, even though they are obeying lots of religious rules and regulations, they're, in fact, running from the heart of God's will. They're actually far from God, even though they think they're close to God. And Jesus says, you're missing the point because you don't understand the sign of Jonah that pointed to me and how I'm the one that provides salvation, how I'm the one who extends mercy and grace, how I'm the one who lived the perfect life that you could not live, who dies in your place and then is resurrected from the grave that you might have actual hope and lasting life. Jesus says, Jonah points to me. And this, this Jesus, who is the God of second chances, he's the same God who pursues Jonah here with his word. And, and after Jonah has been saved and delivered from the depths of the sea, the word comes to Jonah again a second time, giving him a second chance. And here's the thing about second chances. They're, they're made up of two things. Second chances are made up of mercy and grace. And so Paul talks about this idea when he talks about the ultimate second chance that we're given through Jesus Christ. He says this in the book of Romans. In Romans 6.23, he says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we see both of these aspects of mercy and grace here. So what mercy is, is mercy is not getting what we actually do deserve. And grace is being given what we don't deserve at all. And so as Paul talks about our state in Romans, he says, the wages of sin is death. In other words, what we deserve for our work in sinning and rebelling against God is to be paid with death. That's what we deserve to inherit. That's what we deserve for rebelling against the God of life who wants only good things for us. And yet we say, no, my way is better. And we run from him, just like Jonah does. And, and what Paul says is that in this state, all we deserve is death. And yet, every moment that we live and take another breath, God does not give us what we deserve. Every moment that you sit here this morning and breathe in and breathe out is God's mercy to you. Is God not giving us what we deserve. It's mercy. 
Mercy is the, is the first thing that, that builds a second chance. It's, it's not getting what we actually deserve to have happen. Jonah, he, he rebelled against God. He ran from God. And he, what he deserved was to sit at the bottom of the sea and remain there. Because that's where his rebellion led him. And so God doesn't give Jonah what he deserves. Instead, he delivers Jonah. He gives Jonah something he does not deserve, which is grace. You see, grace, it is earned. It's, it's given freely. Like Paul says, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, it's, it's kind of like this. I don't know, maybe when you were a kid, if you had parents that, that warned you at Christmas time that, you know, if you misbehaved, all you were going to get was coal. And, and so I had parents that, that warned me of this, and, and I, was, I was terrified you know, I, I was one of those kids that, like, I, I, didn't, I didn't cross the boundaries because I, I was afraid of what was going to happen. And I, and I believed what they were saying to me. And, and, and so I tried to avoid the coal with all my might. You see, but, but where we're at before God is, is all we deserve is, is coal, like, like children who have rebelled at Christmas time. And yet what God does, what Paul is saying, and what we see happen for Jonah is that God gives us the most valuable gift imaginable. And so see, this, this idea of a second chance, it's made up of mercy. It's made up of God not giving us what we deserve. And it's also made up of grace, of God giving us more than we could ever deserve. It's about God giving us a second chance at life. A second chance of knowing him, and instead of running from him, running with him. And that's exactly what we see Jonah do here. And the, and the beautiful thing about this God of second chances, if, if you're sitting in this room today and, and you think, I had my second chance, and I blew it, is this God of mercy and grace is not just about second chances, he's about Third chances, and fourth chances, and fifth chances, and 999th million chances. You see, every moment that you live and breathe is God's mercy and grace being extended to you because he wants you to know him. He wants you to turn to him. It doesn't matter what you've done in running from God. He wants you to run to him and with him. And, and here's what we see about God's heart for salvation of the lost in First Timothy. It says, this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then Peter says this while warning us that we shouldn't presume upon this God's grace even as he extends it in lavish amounts. He says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord, he, he's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away like, with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And so this God, he gives second chances, but we shouldn't presume upon his grace, Peter says. We shouldn't be assuming that we can just continue to walk in rebellion against him. You see, Jonah, 
Jonah reached repentance in chapter 2. We're going to see next week that Jonah still has some struggles and things that he's dealing with and needs to repent of still. But he reached this moment of repentance where, where God had desired that Jonah would turn back to him. And in the midst of the sea, as he's sinking, he does. And this is what God wants us to do as well. And so Peter warns us that even though this God is extending mercy and grace, there will come a day when judgment will come, when the mercy and grace are are no longer offered. And this is the hard part about our message. This is the hard part about Jonah's message, and, and in fact, what we'll see Jonah proclaim here in just a few verses it's kind of like when, when, when a child disobeys their, their parents, they, they, they continue to disobey their parents until they realize that they're serious about the promised consequences for disobedience. And so, you, you know, you, you say to a child, don't touch that. I mean it, don't touch that. And they keep reaching for it. They keep reaching out to, to grab what you told them not to take hold of. And, and they continue to do that until they realize that you mean the words that you're saying. When you say, you're going to get a spanking, you're going to be in timeout, you're going to be disciplined. They continue to rebel until they realize, much like Jonah did, that you mean what you say. And so we ought, we ought to realize that God extends incredible mercy and grace, and we ought to also realize that there is a day coming where justice and judgment will come as well. And so we ought not be like, like children who presume upon second chances and presume upon God's grace. We ought to turn to God, trusting that he means what he says and that it's better for us to turn to him and run with him, not away from him. We also see that, that God's word to Jonah, it, it's unchanging. Look at what it says there in verse 2. As God comes to Jonah the second time, he says this. He says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And, and if you remember, when we read through those verses in chapter 1, this is exactly what God says. He says, Go to that great and evil city and call out against it. He's telling Jonah the same thing. He's telling him to go to the same place that Jonah does not want to go. He's telling Jonah to to say the things that he still does not want to say. And he's, he's telling Jonah to do exactly what he has not wanted to do from the beginning. And so see, some of us too, we... We kind of have this hope that if we turn to God, that God will change his mind about what he's said. That, that we won't actually have to do the thing that's hard that he's calling us to do. That we won't have to say the hard thing. That we won't have to do the hard thing. That we won't have to go to the hard place. And the thing about God's word is it, it remains unchanging. Just as it did for Jonah, it remains so for us. So just as Jonah was called to go where he did not want to go, to do the thing he did not want to do, and say the things that he did not want to say, Sometimes, even after repentance in our own lives, God still wants us to do the hard thing and obey his word. You see, for for some of us, God's word is still calling us to deny same-sex desires or, or sex outside of marriage and to walk in sexual purity and holiness and devotion to God. And it's hard. 
For some of us, God's word is still calling us to turn from worry and fear and to actually place our trust in him and not worry about tomorrow. For some of us, God is is still calling us to flee the temptations of addiction and to desire the things of God. And for some of us, God's word is still calling us to go somewhere with the gospel and proclaim it and live as his witnesses, no matter how hard it might be. And so like Jonah, we're called to go to the nations, to the peoples of the earth with this message. And God has uniquely wired you, Christian, to do this task, to be about what we call in Scripture the Great Commission that Jesus gives to his disciples. Right before he goes to sit at the Father's right hand, he says, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the name of the Son and the name of the Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. This is our mission, church. This is what we are to be about as the body of Christ, is making disciples wherever we go. For some of us, that looks like taking the education that we have and the job skills we have, the career that we have, And going to a city that's unfamiliar to us, whether it's somewhere else in North America or overseas, for some of us, it it literally looks like, like it did for Jonah, going to a foreign land and living there, working there, doing life there, and proclaiming and witnessing to the gospel of grace while we do it. But it's scary for us, and so we're hesitant to take that step of faith. And yet God still calls us to go. That's the first part of that great commission, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And so wherever you're going, whether it is overseas or to a different city or to your workplace here, you might already be in your Nineveh. You might already be in the hard place where God is calling you to be a faithful witness in the way that you work in the midst of a work environment where your coworkers are relentless, where it's hard, where you don't enjoy it. God might be calling you to be a witness in a difficult family situation or a difficult friendship or relationship that's in your life. He might be calling you to be A witness like Jonah that proclaims God's truth when it's hard, that goes where it's hard to do so. I mean, if you think about Jonah, what he was asked to do, it was almost like being asked to go to the heart of of ISIS territory and proclaim that God was going to judge them all. This is what Jonah was asked to do. He was asked to go to Nineveh which was the capital of Assyria. And the Assyrians were a brutal, violent, ruthless people. And so no doubt Jonah had some fears and some anger and all sorts of things happening as he hears this call of God to go to Nineveh and preach and proclaim what God said. And so sometimes God calls us to hard places that we don't want to go. Sometimes God calls us to say hard things that we don't want to say. Sometimes God calls us to do hard things that we don't want to do. But see, friends, we find mercy, grace, life, and joy in running with God, not from God. 
And just like Jonah, we need to obey God's unchanging word, whatever that looks like for us right now. We need to run with God. Jonah, instead of like in chapter one where Jonah arises and and runs from God, in in chapter one he literally ran as far away from God as he possibly thought he could go. He went to Tarshish, which was the exact opposite direction of Nineveh, and it was as far as the known world was at the time. Jonah said, I'm going to go as far away from God's will for me as I possibly can. I'm going to try and escape God's presence, escape God's will, and I'm going to run And instead of arising to run from God, here in Jonah chapter 3, it says, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So instead of running from God's word, he runs with God's word. Jonah goes to Nineveh and and, and he begins to to call out against the city. Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, meaning it was large, it had lots of people, and it was wide-reaching. You see, it's kind of like it's kind of like Disney World. You know, when you go to Disney World, you can't you can't possibly do everything that there is to do in one day. And so, when when Jonah chapter three says that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth, Jonah began to go into the city going on a day's journey. And so Jonah, he takes one step in to the city. He goes one day's journey in, and on the first day he's there, he starts preaching. He starts proclaiming what God had given him to say. Even though it would take three days to get everywhere and, and, and preach this message in every place that he needed to go. You see, Nineveh was a great city, and Jonah enters into it with a short and simple but powerful message, because it's the message that God gives. You see, in the Hebrew, this message Jonah says, look at what it says in English. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight words in the ESV. In Hebrew, it's only five. This would be like me getting up here and saying, repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray. And some of you are thinking, praise God, that would be amazing. You know? <laughs> but, but this is what Jonah does. He goes in with the shortest, simplest message. And he says, judgment's coming to you. That's a a five-word way that we can say it in English. This is Jonah's message. This is the message that God gives to Jonah to proclaim. And so if 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 you were a new missionary in a new city in a foreign land that you knew was, was violent towards Christians, that, that you were risking your life by even stepping into the city, what would your strategy be? On the first day, like the first day you get in country, you set foot in, on the ground, and you enter into the city for the first time, are, are you going to be like Jonah, and are you going to go out with five words, judgment's coming to you? Is that going to be your strategy? Probably not, right? But, but here's the thing. When God calls us to do something, it's, it's not just us doing it. You see, God is working through an instrument here. 
He's working through a messenger. And it's God who's going to do the work. You see, when God calls you to proclaim the gospel to your friends and your coworkers and your neighbors and your family members or even your enemies, and maybe some of those categories are combined for you. When God calls you to say, repent and believe in the gospel, he's telling you to proclaim what Paul says is a foolish message in the eyes of those who do not see in the eyes of those who do not know God, in the eyes of those in the world who do not know the things of God, this seems like utter foolishness. But can I tell you that that message, that repent and believe in the gospel, is exactly what Jesus preached? In, in Mark chapter 1, if you, you can go there and read it later, Jesus comes on the scene, and the first thing he does when he starts preaching is he says, repent and believe in the gospel. Which means he's calling them to turn from their sin and turn from trusting in themselves as though they were self-sufficient and to turn towards God in repentant faith. He's saying, he's saying, turn from sin, turn from self, do a 180 and stop walking away from God and walk towards God and believe in the gospel or believe in the good news. That's what that word gospel means. He's saying, believe that I've come to live the life that you could not live. Believe that I've come to die the death that you should have died. And believe that I've come to be risen from the grave that you might have the life that you could never earn. And that you might have it forever in a reconciled relationship with God. You see, this is the message that Jesus proclaims. And and Jonah's message, it's, it's not even that explicit. I mean, some scholars think maybe this was a summary of what Jonah said. You know, this was kind of the, the Cliff Notes version of it. And, and some think that this was actually all that Jonah said. Judgment's coming. And he just left it at that. Maybe it was because he didn't have a whole lot of time because he had a, a three-day trek in a city to reach every, everybody, or maybe it was because he just didn't wanted to do the bare minimum of, of what God had asked him to do. Whatever it might be, Jonah only preaches the simple message that judgment's coming, and he leaves it at that. He doesn't even say, like Jesus says, believe in the good news, believe in the gospel. He says judgment's coming. And we're going to see in chapter 4, he's, he's pretty glad about that idea. You see, but we preach the message that God gives us and no other. This is why what we do as a church is, is we open up the scriptures and we ask God to speak to us. We walk through passages of the Bible and we say, God, what are you saying to us? Because it, it does not matter what I think as a preacher or a pastor doesn't matter what Cameron thinks as a pastor. It matters what God is saying to us. This is the message that matters. It's the message that God has given to us. The good news of the gospel. The gospel that proclaims that judgment is coming on sin because our God is just, but he's also gracious and merciful, not giving us what we deserve, but extending what we do not deserve and offering free life in Jesus Christ if we'll turn to him in repentant faith. You see, he's a God of second chances, and this is the message we've been given to proclaim. And much like Jonah, we need to take it with us wherever we go. 
Next we see in verses five through nine that second chances are for those who don't know God and have run from him that they might run to him. So Jonah comes in and he, he preaches this message and look at what it says in verse five. This is totally unexpected. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. For who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So Jonah comes to Nineveh and all he says is judgment's coming. And the people repent at this simple, short, but powerful message. They, They believed God because that's the thing. It was God's message. It wasn't Jonah's message. It was God's word delivered to people. And whenever God's word is delivered to people, God does miraculous things to draw people to himself. You might be in this room today and thinking that that this whole Christianity thing is just utterly ridiculous, and yet you're here. You see, God, God has this funny way of drawing us to himself, even when we don't even think that the methods are that incredible. God calls us to preach this this message that seems foolish, and he brings wisdom by his supernatural work of his spirit in the hearts of men. Jonah comes and he preaches this message, and the Ninevites, this gruesome, violent people that did not know God, in fact, they worshiped all sorts of other false gods, God gives this people that have run from him their entire lives a second chance. That they might no longer be people who run from God in sinful rebellion, but a people that run to God in repentant faith. And that's exactly what happens. It's totally unexpected. This is like going into a city where ISIS rules and proclaiming that judgment's coming, and then the whole city repents and turns to God and mourns what they've done. This is the picture here. Jonah goes into Nineveh, this wicked, violent people, and he preaches the simple message and they turn to God in faith. It, it reminds me a lot of, of the testimony of Charles Spurgeon. So Charles Spurgeon was, is one of the most famous preachers in the history of the church. He was a Baptist preacher in London several hundred years ago. And, and what he did was amazing. What God did through him was amazing. And, and his testimony was so beautiful and simple. On this one winter day, he, he walks out and he's determined that he needs to go to church. And, and the snow and the blizzard is, is tremendous. And so he finds this church that's near where he was and, and he walks in and sits down and he realizes there's only a few other people that made it to church that day because of the blizzard. And one of them was not the pastor. The pastor didn't even make it to church that day. He was snowed in or something. 
And so uh, it, w- it was a church member or a deacon. He, he gets up and uh, assuming that the pastor is not going to make it because he's snowed in. He opens to a passage in Isaiah and then he reads it and he preaches this simple message where he just says, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and be saved. He just continues repeating it because honestly, he may not have ever preached before and that's all he had to say was look to Jesus and be saved. And Charles Spurgeon, as he sat there and heard this man preach an unprepared sermon that was essentially could be summarized in less than five words, God brought new life and repentant faith. And Spurgeon trusted in Christ and he began to walk with God instead of running from God. And this is exactly what Jonah does. It's exactly what we're called to do. You may not think that you've got the words. That's right. I mean, if nothing else, read Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you do nothing else, share a verse of scripture and, and call people to turn to God in repentant faith, to trust in Christ. And let God do the miraculous work of saving people from sin and sorrow. You see, Jonah preaches this five-word sermon in Hebrew, and, and a miraculous thing happens. They repent. And so the, the question is, what does repentance look like? I think there's a few things we can learn from what the Ninevites do here as they turn to God. It, it says that they, they, they begin to fast and they put on sackcloth and, and they begin to sit in ashes, the king does. And, and so they're, they're fasting. They're not eating or drinking anything. They're putting on rough clothing. They're sitting in ashes. And what this would have been like is it's like grieving in the ancient world. This is how they grieved. This is how they showed sorrow. And so much like you and I, we wear, we wear all black to a funeral maybe to show that we're grieving. In the ancient world, they showed grief and sorrow by doing these sorts of things. They fasted and they put on rough clothing and they sat in ashes and, and they did nothing but call out to God because they were sorrowful. They were grieved over their sin. They were grieved over their violence. They were grieved over their, their disvaluing and taking of life. And so they sit in, in sorrow and they begin to call out to God. And, and, and notice that they don't do so because they think that they deserve God's mercy or grace. In fact, they think the opposite. And, and they wonder if, if God might spare them. In verse 9, it says, the, the king says, Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. You see, they didn't presume upon God's mercy and grace. They didn't expect it. They didn't think they deserved it. In fact, they had such a clear view of their sin and rebellion and running from God. They knew they didn't. Makes me think of a, a man that I know that he, early on in his marriage, he, he cheated on his wife, and it, it just kind of destroyed things for a good season. And... And still, even now, he doesn't believe that he deserves forgiveness from her. He, he repented, he, he sought out help, he, he did everything he could do. 
And still, when, 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 she, when she struggles with what he did, he, he says, I know. I was wrong. And I'm sorry. And he leaves it there. He doesn't, say, he doesn't get bitter and say, but why won't you just forgive me? He doesn't believe he deserves forgiveness. And that's the thing about when we see our sin accurately, we realize we don't deserve the mercy and grace that God extends to us when he forgives us in Christ. Like the Ninevites, we, when we see our sin clearly, we, we sit in it and we're sorrowful over it. We grieve over what we've done in rebelling against God and harming those around us. And we turn to God in repentant faith, not expecting him to grant it, but knowing that he's a God of grace and that he might. And in fact, that's what's been offered to us. We don't deserve it, but it's offered. But do you feel entitled to grace? Do you feel entitled to mercy? Because if so, you don't understand it. If so, you don't understand your sin. If you feel entitled to mercy and grace, you don't understand your sin nor God's grace. The grace that we sang about that's greater than all our sin. A true understanding of it and experience of it begins with an understanding of exactly what it is we've done in rebelling against God and understanding that his mercy is that we don't get what we deserve and his grace is that he offers to us exactly that which we could never deserve. You see, they're, they're sorrowful. Their, their repentance it involved believing God's word. It involved believing God's message. It also involved an intense sorrow over their sin and then a pleading with God for his mercy and grace. And then it actually involves a a turning from their violence and evil and sinful ways. Did you see that that's part of what the king called for? He says in verse 8, But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God and let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. You see, repentance, it involves a change of action as well. The heart change that God brings in us leads to behavior change as we demonstrate what God has done in us. So does your repentance involve these things as you look at your own life? Do you believe in the gospel? Do you believe what God has said and what he's offered to you in Christ? Do you have genuine sorrow over your sin? whether it be against God or the other people in your life. In fact, when we sin against others, David says we're actually sinning primarily against God. So do you have sorrow over your sin? And do you, do you turn to God in desperate prayer knowing that you need him? Knowing that he's your only hope, just like Jonah did in chapter 2 and just like the Ninevites do in chapter 3. That your only hope is that God might spare you, that God might give life where it's undeserved. And then is this genuine repentance, is it demonstrated through your actions, through a change? Are you beginning to put off the old things, the old ways in which you walked, and beginning to put on the new ways of Christ that he calls you to walk in? Are you not running from God anymore, but running with him and to him? You see, second chances are from the God of mercy and grace who runs toward us that we might know him 
and walk with him. Verse 10, it says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. It's important to understand here that what's happening here is when God promised that he would judge their sin and then he relents from it, it doesn't make him a liar. It doesn't communicate that God just changes his mind willy-nilly. Instead, what we read in Jeremiah 18 is that God says this about when prophets proclaim warnings to people. It says, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And on the other hand, and if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. You see, God gives warnings to his people for the purpose of drawing them and turning them to himself, which is exactly what he does with the Ninevites here. He, he calls Jonah to go and preach so that they might hear his warning of judgment, because that's all Jonah preaches. And in that explicit message of judgment is an implicit call to turn to God for mercy and grace. And they do. They turn to the God of Second chances, who, who spares them? You see, the reason God warns us is that God wants to know us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to walk with him, not from him. So the Ninevites, they responded. But the question for us today is, will you and I, will you respond with repentant faith. You see, Jesus, he said, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And so will you heed his warning today? Will you run to him and with him that you might know him? Through his son, Jesus Christ, will you turn to Jesus today? As that man so long ago preached when Spurgeon sat there, look to Jesus and respond in faith. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful this morning for your mercy. God, you don't give us what we deserve And God, we're also grateful and we honor you this morning with our praise because of your grace that you give us in Christ what we could never earn, what we could never deserve. And so we trust in you, we hope in you, and we look to you this morning, Jesus. Because you paid the price for us that we might have everlasting life through our faith in you. And so we trust in you, we look to you, the God of compassion and grace, the God of second chances. We turn to you, help us as we do so. In Jesus' name.